Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 5, Chapter 5 of War and Peace. Why do you think the rumours of a duel reaching the Tsar's ears would be cause for Pierre to flee Petersburg? Dolokhov should, in the Tsar's eyes, someone should be someone of no great significance. Then why the danger? And what do you think are Vasily's motivations and goals here? Warren Kavofi says, I have to say I was surprised that Pierre didn't cave to Vasily's pestering. I also thought that Vasily veiled threats concerning the Tsar and Dowager Empress's interest into the duel was a tad ominous. Vasily has shown to be a resourceful and connected person, so things might get increasingly, in- increasingly interesting for Pierre. I believe Vasily has his sights on more of Pierre's estate, and I don't think he's going to stop any time soon. A week later, having said goodbyes to his new Mason friends and having left them large sums for alms, Pierre went off to his estates. Hmm, looks like recruiting Pierre is already quite literally paying dividends. Yeah, that was the line that stood out the most to me, because we were all wondering... Are they going to be, you know, putting their hands out for a bit of cash? And there it is, one chapter later, he's already left large sums of money with them. The good news is that he has many, 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 many large sums of money at his disposal. So he'll be fine. Mileva said Pierre stood up for himself. Go, Pierre. I think the jewels weren't legal back then, so for the Tsar to know means it would be frowned upon. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not sure why he would have to leave, other than perhaps to let it all blow over. I think that the duel and subsequent separation makes Helena look bad, which isn't in Prince Vasily's best interest, so he's trying to make repairs. Um, yeah, that's it, I think. Um, it, it, yeah, I think it was not legal, and so he's laying low for those reasons. To let the rumours die down, so hopefully he doesn't come under too much scrutiny. Twisted everywhere, said, Finally, Pierre did something I like and stood up for himself. Vasily is doing the old subtle blackmail, I think. He definitely has his eye on more of Pierre's estate. Pierre's going to be broke soon, giving out so much money to Helena and to the Masons. Pierre needs to get his shit together, yo. Um, you know, if he loses his fortune, it will be impressive, I think is the vastness of his fortune. It's hard to um, wrap your head around, but we're all, you know, all of these people in this book, are ma- are the 1%, you know, they're all aristocrats, they're all filthy, filthy rich, and by their standards, he's mega rich. So he's mega rich. Let's keep reading, shall we? Chapter 6. Chapter 6. It goes like this. The duel between Pierre and Dolokhov was hushed up, and in spite of the emperor's severity regarding duels at that time, neither the principals nor their seconds suffered for it. But the story of the duel confirmed by Pierre's rapture with his wife was the talk of the society. Pierre, who had been regarded with patronising condescension when he was an illegitimate son, and petted and extolled when he was the best match in Russia, had sunk greatly in the esteem of society after his marriage. When the marriageable daughters and their mothers had nothing to hope from him, especially as he did not know how and did not wish to cause society's favour, now he alone was blamed for what had happened. 
He was said to be insanely jealous and subject like his father to fits of bloodthirsty rage. And when, after Pierre's departure, Helena returned to Petersburg, she was received by all her acquaintances not only cordially, but even with a shade of deference due to her misfortune. When conversation turned on her husband, Helena assumed a dignified expression which, which, which with characteristic tact she had acquired, though she did not understand its significance. This expression suggested that she had resolved to endure her troubles uncomplainingly, and that her husband was a cross laid upon her by God. Prince Vasily expressed his opinion more openly. He shrugged his shoulders when Pierre was mentioned and pointed to his forehead, remarking, A bit touched. I always said so. I said from the first, declared Anna Pavlovna, referring to Pierre. I said at the time and before anyone else. She insisted on her priority, that that senseless young man was spoiled by the depraved ideas of these days. I said so, even at the time when everybody was in raptures about him, when he had just returned from abroad, and when, if you remember, he posed as a sort of marat at one of my soirees. And how has it ended? I was against this marriage, and even then, and foretold all that has happened. Anna Pavlovna continued to give on free evenings the same kind of soirees as before, such as she alone had the gift of arranging, at which was to be found the cream of really good society, the bloom of the intellectual essence of Petersburg as she herself put it. Besides this refined selection of society, Anna Pavlovna's receptions were also distinguished by the fact that she always presented some new and interesting person to the visitors, and that nowhere else was the state of the political thermometer of legitimate Petersburg court society so dearly and distinctly indicated. Toward the end of 1806, when all the sad details of Napoleon's destruction of the Prussian army at Jena and Ortstadt, and the surrender of the most of the Prussian fortresses had been received when our troops had already entered Prussia and our second war with Napoleon was beginning, Anna Pavlovna gave one of her, of her soirees. The cream of really good society consisted of her fascinating Helena, forsaken by her husband, Mortimer, the delightful Prince Ippolit, who had just returned from Vienna, two diplomatists, the old aunt, a young man referred to in that drawing-room as a man of great merit, Ulhom de Beaucoup de Merit, a newly appointed maid of honour, and her mother, and several other less noteworthy persons. The novelty Anna Pavlovna was setting before her guests that evening was Boris Drubetskoy, who had just arrived as a special messenger from the Prussian army and was aide-de-camp to a very important personage. The temperature shown by the political thermometer to the company that evening was this. Whatever the European sovereigns and commanders may do to countenance Bonaparte and to cause me and us in general annoyance and mortification, our opinion of Bonaparte cannot alter. We shall not cease to express our sincere views on that subject and can only say that the King of Prussia and others, to the King of Prussia and others, so much the worse for you. To last value Georges Dandin, that's all we have to say about it. When Boris, who was to be served up to the guests, entered the drawing room, almost all the company had assembled, and the conversation guided by Anna Pavlovna was about our diplomatic relations with Austria and the hope of an alliance with her. 
Boris, grown more manly and looking fresh, rosy and self-possessed, entered the drawing-room, elegantly dressed in the uniform of an aide-de-camp, and was duly conducted to pay his respects to the aunt, and then brought back to the general circle. Anna Pavlovna gave him her shriveled hand to kiss and introduced him to several persons whom he did not know, giving him a whispered description of each. Principalit Kuragin, charming young fellow, M. Kronk, charge d'affaires from Copenhagen, a profound intellect, and simply Mr. Chateauv, a man of great merit. This of the man usually so described. Thanks to Anna Mikhailovna's efforts, his own tastes, and the peculiarities of his reserved nature, Boris had managed during his service to place himself very advantageously. He was aide de camp to a very important personage. He had been sent on a very important mission to Prussia and had just returned from there as a special messenger. He had become thoroughly conversant with the unwritten code with which he had been so pleased at Olmutz, and according to which an ensign might rank incomparably higher than the general, and according to which what was needed for success in the service was not effort or work or courage or perseverance, but only the knowledge of how to get on with those who can, can grant rewards, and he was himself often surprised at the rapidity of his success and at the inability of others to understand these things. In consequence of this discovery, his whole manner of life, all his relations with old friends, all his plans for his future were completely altered. He was not rich, but would spend his last groat to be better dressed than others, and would rather deprive himself of many pleasures than allow himself to be seen in a shabby equipage or appear in the streets of Petersburg in an old uniform. He made friends with and sought the acquaintance of only those above him in position, and who could therefore be of use to him. He liked Petersburg and despised Moscow. The remembrance of the Rostov's house and of his childish love for Natasha was unpleasant to him, and he had not once been to see the Rostovs since the day of his departure for the army. To be in Anna Pavlovna's drawing-room he considered an important step up in the service, and he at once understood his role, letting his hostess make use of whatever interest he had to offer. He himself carefully scanned each face, appraising the possibilities of establishing intimacy with each of those present and the advantages that might accrue. He took the seat indicated to him beside the fair Helena and listened to the general conversation. Vienna considers the basis of the proposed treaty so unattainable that not even a continuity of most brilliant successes would secure them, and she doubts the means we have of gaining them. That is the actual phrase used by the Vienna cabinet, said the Danish charge d'affaires. The doubt is flattering, said the man of profound intellect with a subtle smile. We must distinguish between the Vienna cabinet and the Emperor of Austria, said Mortimer. The Emperor of Austria can never have thought of such a thing. It is only the cabinet that says it. Ah, my dear Vicomte, put in Anna Pavlovna, Le Europe, for some reason she called Europe as if it were a specially refined French pronunciation, which she could allow herself when conversing with Frenchmen, Le Europe ne sera jamais notre allié sincère. Europe will never be our sincere ally. After that, Anna Pavlovna led up the courage and firmness of the King of Prussia in order to draw Boris into the conversation. Boris listened attentively to each of the speakers, awaiting his turn, but managed meanwhile to look round repeatedly at his neighbour, the beautiful Helena, whose eyes several times met those of the handsome young aide-de-camp with a smile. 
Speaking of the position of Prussia, Anna Pavlovna very naturally asked Boris to tell them about his journey to Glaugau and in what state he found the Prussian army. Boris, speaking with deliberation, told them in pure, correct French many interesting details about the armies and the court, carefully abstaining from expressing an opinion of his own about the facts he was recounting. For some time he engrossed the general attention, and Anna Pavlovna felt that the novelty she had served up was received with pleasure by all her visitors. The greatest attention of all to Boris's narrative was shown by Helena. She asked him several questions about his journey and seemed greatly interested in the state of the Prussian army. As soon as he had finished, she turned to him with her, unu- with her usual smile. You absolutely must come and see me, she said in a tone that implied that, for certain considerations he would not know of, this was absolutely necessary. On Tuesday between 8 and 9 it will give me great pleasure. Boris promised to fulfil her wish and was about to begin a conversation with her when Anna Pavlovna called him away on the pretext that her aunt wished to hear him. You know her husband, of course, said Anna Pavlovna, closing her eyes and indicating Helena with a sorrowful gesture. Ah, she is such an unfortunate and charming woman. Don't mention him before her. Please don't. It's too painful for her. All right, there we go. Another chapter. Another Anna Pavlovna soiree. Have your say at the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.